One Week Season. everyone and welcome to week seven of the edge with myself and hilo uh we have some interesting games to break down this week with him um we're going to start with uh one we think could turn into a nice fun shootout um and we're going to talk about a couple that honestly probably not even worth talking about but we're going to because they're on the slate uh how you holding up hilo Good man. It's there's a lot of those we don't have to talk about type games <laughs> this week, man. Um, like five games with a game total under 43 points is almost unheard of in today's NFL, and that's what we got this week. So, um, but yeah, there, I, there's a lot of money to be made, and let's get it, baby. Yeah. So we're uh, we're gonna start with one that right. Uh, everybody's coming back, right? Uh, looks like everybody's gonna be good to go. It looks like. You know, ASB is going to be good. Sounding like Swift is trending right, right? Dak's back. Um, you know, there's uh, a lot of interesting points, and we know how bad the Lions' defense has been. Uh, oh, yeah. um, so one of the, you know one of the things you brought up that I want to talk about to start this though um, is you know you talked about how the Lions might try to start to control this on the ground, right? Use Jamal, use yeah. Swift, keep it under control, right? But then we know what happens after that once Dallas starts pulling away. How's uh, how's that play out for you? Yeah, I think both of these teams are run first teams. You look at the weekly pass rate over expectation values, and the Cowboys are have been below league average in pass rate over expectation in every single game this season. The Lions, all but one game this season. So we know pretty clearly that the identity of these teams – they want to win the trenches. They want to pound the rock and they want to control the time of possession, the pace, the tempo, all those things. Both these teams kind of want to do that. It's just obviously only one is likely to be able to be successful in that endeavor this week. Um, and that's the Cowboys, really. We look at we look at kind of their composition. Their offensive line is healthy for the first time in a year and a half. Um, yep. Ezekiel Elliott looked better last week than he has probably in greater than two years. Um, he, he scored a touchdown from 12 yards out untouched. When was the last time that has happened for Zeke? It like has not happened. <laughs> it's um, been a long time. Yeah. So he actually looked pretty good. And um, obviously the Lions are a team that plays a ton of man coverage. They're a team that um, is ranked poorly in DVOA against the run and the pass. So this is kind of a setup where it's like the Cowboys should be driving this game environment and they should be able to win any way they want. And if we know that they want to try and win on the ground, that sets up for some increased volume, um, regardless of who's coming back at quarterback, regardless of, you know, the fact that CD lamb and Dak Prescott are, are linked up for the first time in a while. Like we have to like get rid of all those biases and kind of just look at like, what is the likeliest or I guess the most likely outcome here. And it's for the Cowboys to control the game on the ground. And if that's the case, we have a with Ezekiel Elliott, who's priced at only 6K on the slate and is probably going to go largely overlooked by the field, who is going to be glommed off on, hey, I got to play CD this week because there's nowhere for me to pay up at wide receiver. And that's kind of the right. sense that I'm getting from the slate. Um, so Zeke right off the bat is like huge leverage on the slate. 
Um, the other big piece I think that is probably going to go largely overlooked is Amon Ross St. Brown. Um, if the likeliest scenario is for the Cowboys to control the game environment, they're almost seven point favorites at home. We know the Lions will be quick to deviate from their most likely game plan. We know that they want to come in trying to control the game on the ground, but we know that they are willing to open it up from there. And if they're willing to open it up from there, now we have um, you know, multiple pieces of the pass catching game for the, the Lions that are going to be out. Um, we have DJ Chark, who is, I think, already ruled out. Um, we have Ken, uh, wait, not Kenny Galladay. Who the hell am I talking about? Um, Josh Reynolds is yep. uh, been on the injury report for the entire week. So um, now we start getting to this, you know, this place where it makes sense where we can play these guys together and capture the most likely environment in a way that the field is highly unlikely to be doing. So I love the pairing of Zeke and Amon Ross St. Brown. I think it's unreal leverage because I don't think that Amon Ross St. Brown, he's kind of in that like second tier of pricing, right? At at wide receiver. And the general consensus from the field is he's just this like possession type wide receiver. Well, if he's going to see 12 to 15 targets, like uh, that's something that I'm interested in for sure. Yeah. Sign me up all day for that. Um, And two, right. Like, Zeke, you know, you brought it up, has been on the field for 58 to 67% of the snaps, right? Um, The line being healthy, right? Like, I just, I love where his prop is for rush attempts this week. It suggests that, hey, it's there. Um, You know, it's, um, I'm interested to see if people try to pivot back to TJ again and say, hey, you know, he had that monster week a few weeks ago. Right. Like, how does he line up against, you know, Dallas? Meanwhile, Dallas has one of the past best pass defenses. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the so I'm not really trying to go to TJ. Uh, I think you said it best, right? It's a mon or no one for me here. Yeah. And you look at kind of like the state of the running back position, too. And I think this is this has to be like brought up when we're talking about the slate overall. Um we really like CMC has basically been removed from the player pool, right? He got traded to San yep. Francisco. He's listed now as being on the 49ers, which is plus, but yep. um, we, he got traded on Thursday. Like, so how involved is he going to be? So he's basically off. So now the upper tier pr- player pricing is Austin Eckler in a good spot against Seattle, mm-hmm. Derek Henry and Jonathan Taylor playing each other, Nick Chubb against Baltimore, which I have a lot of interest there as well. Uh, I, I digress a little bit. Um, Saquon Barkley and Leonard Fournette, like those are our pay up options. So if you look at those guys, there's really only two of those guys that are outside of the percentage solution profile for scoring fantasy points. And I say that because most of the running backs in today's NFL game are only going to put up GPP worthy scores via breaking hundred yard bonus on DK and scoring yep. multiple times. So the two that are not in that bucket are Austin Eckler and Saquon Barkley. And then it's everybody else is like, they need hundred yards and two scores. Well, if those upper echelon guys need a hundred yards and two scores, we have Zeke who's way cheaper at six K that needs the same thing. And he's in a better spot arguably than all those guys. So um, I like the, the savings there and I like the leverage that it creates. Yeah, me too. I uh, I think I'm going to have a lot of interest in this game this week. Um, well, let's talk about a game I don't think I'm going to have a lot of 
interest in this week, and that is uh, the Packers at the Washington football team. Uh, <laughs> I mean, 18 and a half. Every time I look at it, I laugh. It says 18 yeah. and a half for an NFL team in 2022. <laughs> uh, the year of our right? Lord, 2022, yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah. The, the only spot, and I'm interested to see what your thoughts are here. The one spot I think there is there is a little bit of upside, right, is – we know how bad the Packers run D is mm-hmm. um, and Brian Robinson looks good. Uh, I think at his price, I'm worried he gets steamed, uh, but I definitely have my eyes on him this week. Uh, what are your, what are your thoughts here on, uh, on that side of it? 100% agree. And Brian Robinson is priced at only 5.5. He saw 17 rush opportunities um, and he's, he's, we can consider him in the same kind of, realm that we were talking about Zeke as right he is a yardage and touchdown back very little um pass game usage even going back to his college days so if he is a yardage and touchdown back and if we know that like the Packers are dead last in DVOA against the run they've allowed 25th yards per carry so like they are still hashtag bad against against the run and it's been that way um you know Kenny Clark is an above average nose tackle but it's just like their second level just bleeds yards and why i think uh, i was looking at their film from uh some of their games this year and their secondary is just playing so much off zone coverage that there is 15 yard gap between the linebackers and the secondary so if a running back gets behind into the second level they have 15 plus yards of this just open green space so that is something that we have to like take into account like brian robinson could rip some long t- some long gains here and if he is ripping long gains and if he is being successful you know hitting 100 yards and scoring once or twice um, that's going to pay off his price tag if he's doing that then we have this like setup where it's like then that pushes the Packers into a realm where they can have utility because we have Randall Cobb that's out we have Christian Watson that's out so the starting wide receivers are going to be um, Alan Lazard and Romeo Dobbs. And then it's likely that Sammy Watkins and, um, um, Roger and Rogers are going to mix it. Oh, Rogers. Yeah. Like, so it's probably the two Alan Lazard and Romeo Dobbs are going to play probably most of the snaps, like 95% yeah. plus of the snaps. And then Sammy Watkins and, um, Amari Rogers are probably going to mix in from there whenever they're in 11. Um, so, if that's the case, Robert Tanyan is playing. He hit the most, his highest snap rate in a game last week at 63%. So if he's not yet an every down tight end, they don't want him to be because they don't play a ton of 12 and right. they like, um, they like a, a pass blocking tight end on the field. Um, and that's, you know, they have one of the best all time pass blocking tight ends in Mercedes Lewis. So yep. they're not wanting to play Tanya in heavy snaps. All of that kind of comes together to like, if Brian Robinson succeeds, the optimal way to play him on a roster is to pair him with either Alan Lazard and Romeo Dobbs. Um, right. And so I have a lot of interest in, in that pairing. And I have a lot of interest in Alan Lazard because I think the field just is still caught up in this like, uh, the the preseason best ball hype train on Romeo Dobbs. And yep. so we saw, we've seen it carry over. And I think right now Dobbs is expected for like four times the ownership that Lazard is expected to carry. 
So look at Lazard. Lazard has scored a touchdown or hit the 100-yard bonus in all five of his healthy games this season. So that's something that I'm interested in. Like if, if the Packers are being pushed at all, so if Washington hits the over on their very, very low 18 and a half Vegas implied team total, then it's likely pushing the Packers. And if it's pushing the Packers, it's likeliest to come through one of Aaron Rodgers, kind of his, his new Devontae Adams safety blanket type wide receiver is Alan Lazard. And so um, I have a lot of interest. If I'm playing Robinson, I will 100% be playing him with either Alan Lazard or Romeo Dobbs. The, um, the ownership discount that we get on Lazard is highly intriguing to me. Yeah, that was one of the things that stood out to me the most was how much less he's owned. Like, that's just, it's like an auto pick for me at that ownership level, right? Like, yeah. it, when you start getting into 4X, right, the leverage it's going to give you on the field just makes it so easy to go at that. Um, mm-hmm. So let's talk about, you know, the Packers backfield. Um, you know, the commanders, you know, have not middle of the pack, but, you know, last third, you know, run defense. The challenge is, is I feel like it's playing Russian roulette every week with them. And it's totally, you know, you brought it up. It's totally game script driven. And I just got to guess which one Hackett wants or not Hackett. Um, <laughs> wants to, uh, LaFleur, you know, years of years of him being there. Uh, LaFleur yeah. wants to, uh, you know, the direction LaFleur wants to go with it. Um, where do you see, do you see yourself landing anywhere with the backs there? I don't think so. Um, the only, I think I'm not the only, but like the biggest reason why that is, is because there is so much uncertainty and I want to take on that uncertainty when the state of the running back, the running back position on the slate is like when there isn't a lot of certainty at that position. Right. What do we have this week? You know, we have Eckler in a smash spot. We have a guy we haven't talked about with Kenneth Walker in a smash spot on this in the yeah. same game. So there's there, like the two pay up guy yardage and touchdown guys, Derek Henry and Jonathan Taylor um, and Nick Chubb throw him in there as well. We have Saquon Barkley against Jacksonville, who is basically 80% of the offense in New York. Leonard Fournette against a reeling Carolina team who had just packed it in by shipping off CMC. Um, so there's a lot. And Aaron Jones is priced a hundred dollars less than Leonard Fournette and $300 less than Saquon Barkley. So it's like, I w I would want to take on that um, amount of unknowns if the position wasn't so strong to begin with, because right. it's so strong, like Aaron Jones can hit, he hit 35 fantasy points in a game earlier this year against Chicago. So like he can hit 35 fantasy points, but not separate. So you don't need, in my opinion, you don't need to take on that additional risk this week when we can just access the same amount of upside in with more certainty at other places. Um, so yeah, for me, I, I really don't have any interest in um, that backfield in guessing, you know, Aaron Jones is going to have to score three touchdowns plus to put the slate right. out of reach. And so that's just something that I would rather look elsewhere. Yeah. It's um, you brought up uh, Chubb a few times. I'll tell you, Mike and I talked about this last night. Um, why a teller being out for me is th- that's going to make it hard for me to pay for Chubb this week. Yeah. Um, right. He's just a monster. Um, and um, that's, that's one where I'm going to struggle with a little bit on Chubb. Um, but I definitely think, and I think we're going to go to this game next here and, and talk about a, a back that uh, I'm definitely interested in. And 
um, an interesting game where, hey, we actually got two teams in the 20s, right? Yeah, right. Uh, right, moving on up all, all the way to 47 with the Falcons and the Bengals. Um, if if there was large amounts of money to bet at the beginning of the season, no one would have bet that the Falcons run offense headed into week seven would be the number one DVOA run offense. Like there was just, right. I would have, I would have loved to know like what Vegas implied line would have been for that uh, because right. It just would have never, uh, never been there. Um, so Right. And and you brought it up, right? Arthur Smith has been clear. He wants to run the ball. Right. Mm-hmm. Um I think he said it best for better, for worse. Uh, but now with Cordell out, like I kind of feel like it's the Packers situation. I don't know which back to pick, right? Because I don't know yeah. where they're gonna go game script wise. Um, so what are your thoughts there? And for the first time in his career. Kyle Pitts has a touchdown on American soil. Let's go. (laughs) (laughs) Like, Hey, like they they figured out, Oh, maybe we might want to throw like this guy, the ball. Um, So what are your thoughts there? Right off the bat? We know what the identities of these team are. The Atlanta Falcons have Dean peace as defensive coordinator, and they are building their team around him and limiting basically splash plays against and they're trying to control the game on the ground the Bengals are actually defensive oriented as well they have a guy named lou and Arumo who at defensive yep. coordinator who i would put both of these defensive coordinators top five in the league of defensive coordinators um they're that good at um scheming to what they have and they don't have all the talent in the world on defense, but you look at like what they're being able to do with what they have is they're maximizing a relatively shitty situation. So like if they're both doing that, um, we kind of know the Bengals are looking to relatively speaking, push the pace and they have now a top five pass rate over expectation through six weeks. So like they are leveraging Um, their defense to give them the opportunity to be aggressive on offense. The Falcons are on the other side of the spectrum where they're leveraging their defense and trying to control the game, control the time of possession and um, basically keep themselves in the game into the fourth quarter. And that's what we've been, that's what we've seen um, through six weeks is a pretty large sample size. Now jumping back a little bit with that understanding, if I were betting the over under on this game and this game opened at i think it was 43 45 and a half something like that yeah anyway, it's, and a half. it's been bet up to 47 yeah. if i were throwing the if i were throwing the barn at one side of that i would throw it on the under um that kind of gives us an idea of where my mind at my mind is at from this game environment so I think it has more paths to disappointing than it does to ripping open. Right. And if we look at like how this game would rip open, it would be Jamar Chase. That's it. Right. Like Jamar Chase is going to rip a long one and it's going to break the game open. But then we start thinking like, is he going to do that multiple times? Is that going to happen early? Like we saw him. We saw him go for 102 last week, but it took like in deep into the fourth quarter for him to rip a 53 yarder uh, to get there. So like in my mind, 
this is very, very much a, a, a field is biting off on name value type situation because Jamar Chase um, is expected to garner ownership. Team Higgins is expected to garner ownership. And in my mind, like there are just so many paths to failure at high ownership for those two guys that I want really not, I don't have a lot of interest in that at all. And on the other side of the game, it's like, do I want to put my hard-earned American Benjamins behind a backfield led by Tyler Algier, Keith Smith, and and Caleb Huntley? Like Caleb Huntley saw 16 running back opportunities last week on 34% of the offensive snaps. Like yeah. that's pretty, that's pretty crazy. And that's with the team only running 58 offensive plays from scrimmage. It's insane to me. Like, right. look at like the amount of plays that Atlanta has run. This year, they opened the season with 75 offensive plays run from scrimmage. Um, then they're at 61, 57, 55, 66, and 58. So four of their six games, they have run below league average offensive plays from scrimmage. And we know that so much of their identity is built around the run. So we can automatically say like at least 60 to 65% of their offensive plays are going to be rush plays. That's going to be split between Tyler Aljair. That's going to be split between um, Caleb Huntley. And that's also going to be split between their quarterback and Marcus Mariota, who's going to see some carries as well. So like, I really, there's not a lot to like from that profile. Really the only player I like out of that bunch is the quarterback is Marcus Mariota um, because we've seen like his red zone rushing role has pretty much skyrocketed after the injury to Cordero Patterson. So they're like, do we, do we run like Caleb Huntley? Who's like this bowling ball running back. <laughs> yeah. Do we run him like into a brick wall to try and like break through um, in the red zone? Or do we like fake the handoff and run a bootleg and, and have like, keep it in, keep the ball in our running quarterback's hands. And they've elected uh, the latter. They've elected to have to keep it in Marcus Mariota's hands. So like, yeah, Mariota carries like multiple rushing score upside in this matchup, uh, which is interesting to think about. Um, but yeah, this whole game environment, I'm, I'm much lower than the field. The only play or the, I guess the player that piques my interest the most is the guy who you alluded to at the beginning. And that's Joe Mixon. Um, but this is a guy like who has the number one overall, like expected fantasy points per game, but the Delta is of his actual, he's scoring like 5.6 points lower than his expectation. That's like 25% lower, which is absurd. Absolutely absurd. So at some point in the season, like that's going to aggressively like regress to the mean. We have no idea when that's going to happen. I'm just going to keep like throwing money at the situation until it does (laughs) type thing. Yeah. Um, Right. Like, yeah, yeah, you're trying to just bet the one week of it, right? Like it's Kittle yeah. for me, right? Listen, Kittle's going to break the slate one of these weeks, right? And I don't want it to be the week I didn't play Kittle, mm-hmm. right? Because then I'll just be really bad at myself, um, yeah. right? And I think uh, you know one of the things for um, you know OWS Center Circle members, uh, I think JM's DFS interpretation of this had a really interesting breakdown, uh, something that our members get to see. Uh, talking about this very subject and his his take on it. I haven't got to read your DFS yet uh, interpretation, but Jams was interesting on 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 that very subject. So that's definitely mm-hmm. something you get to see uh, when that breaks out. So now, speaking of running backs that I am uh, I love and I know, uh, there is my man that uh, 
I actually got, it's funny, in some of my season-long stuff, I had guys, like, laughing at me because I was drafting Saquon early in the first round. Um, and, yeah. uh, right, I made the bet that after that, you know, with Dabal there and um, he was the year removed from the surgery finally, uh, it's paid off nicely in season-long and it's paid off nicely in DFS so far. Um, unfortunately, we're at another one of those, you know, both of these defenses have been above average this year. Um, yeah. you know, the, the Giants run D not as much, but their pasty has been, you know, playable. Um, and Jacksonville's been solid. So uh, while I like Saquon's price this week, um, I don't love the spot. Um, what are your thoughts here uh coming from the Giant side? Yeah, to to start at the beginning there, um, I had Saquon Barkley ranked as RB3 coming into the season, and I was ripping him in best ball like early, early first. Uh, well, I, I started taking him in the third, and then I chased him like when yeah. he started going to the one-two turn. He just started ripping. going up. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I just kept hammering him. Um, I was not worried at all on Saquon Barkley until like late into the offseason when it was announced that Brian Dabble was not going to be the offensive play caller, and it was going to be Mike Kafka. Um, and then I was like, oh shit, like that. Okay. That might be, uh, a detriment to Saquon's upside, but it hasn't been that offense is like tailored around, um, or I guess tailored to maximize the, the, I guess the personnel, the the personnel, I don't know how you want to call it. Yeah. Whatever they have. And it's what they have is Saquon Barkley. And so like so much of that offense is built around Saquon that like he can get there in so many different ways. And he's really like one of the few remaining game flow and game script depend or independent back left in the NFL. Um, with that said, like, yeah, I'm going to have some interest in Saquon Barkley this year or this week. The other guy is Wandale Robinson and, yeah. you know, he scored a touchdown last week. He only played 23% of the offensive snaps. The bet there is you're paying 4,500 bucks for a wide receiver who is likely to be, the main cog as a pass catcher in that offense. And you're betting on his snap rate increasing to like playable levels. Like we want to see like 65 to 70% plus of the snaps. And once that happens, like Wandell's price is going to be probably, um, you know, look at what like Kadarius Tony did price wise last year. He skyrocketed from like 3.5 to, to like almost like 6.2, I think was his high point. So like, I was going to say, then the slow six is at the end there. Yeah, so that's probably what we're going to see trajectory-wise for Wandale's pricing. And right now, he is at the low end of that. He's at 4.5. So if, like, basically, the moral of that story is, like, I want access to upside, um, one, before the field, and two, like, before his role grows to increase his price. Yeah, so speaking of best ball uh, misses, (laughs) uh, man, I I have a lot of Tony and... um, you just can't stay healthy. Like it's just, it's so frustrating, right. To see all that talent and where the giants receiving core is, right. Like I, my bet was like, we'd start getting to this point and Dabo working with Jones, making him playable. Saquon comes back. And I was, you know, I'm, I was hoping to see Tony, you know, Robinson kind of start to to blossom here a little bit. Um, Obviously we know he can't stay healthy and you know, if he walks by a pillow, he stubs his toe on it for crying out loud. So, (laughs) so something, something I started doing in best ball was pairing Wandell and Tony because Tony was like anywhere from like a ninth rounder to an 11th rounder, all draft season. 
And Wandale was a last rounder. So I was like, I can get access to, I don't care which one of them emerges. It's like, they're both elite. Well, not elite. They're both above average talents on a team devoid of a lot of pass catching talent. So like optimal scenario would mean for me, my best ball shares would be like Kadarius Tony gets traded and Wandale stays healthy, which would be like elite for me. Um, Cause I have a lot of teams with both of them on it. Yeah, I have. I'm I'm a fair share, not as not as many though. Um, so let's talk about the other running back side of this game, right? Um, mm-hmm. Etienne is continuing to look better and better every week. Everybody's noticing it, right? Robinson, you know, started off big, and you know, again, he's coming back from that Achilles, right? And as the season wears on, you kind of see it. Um, do you see any interest in, in trying to use Etienne? My issue has been they're just not targeting him. Right. Um, yeah. Like they should. Uh, and I wish they would, you know, in the passing game. Yeah. So I guess long, too long didn't read version is no, I don't have interest here. Again, it goes back to our discussion of the state of the slate. And there's just so many upside running back, uh, running backs on the slate where I don't think you need right. to take on that additional um, uncertainty. The, all signs point to like this transitioning as the season goes along to ETN's backfield. He is, right. you know, one of the most elite running backs to come out. Um, like he and Brees Hall are like the two running backs over the last three years, um, like are that can be spoken about in the same vein as like Saquon Barkley. Um, right. So that like Saquon Barkley, Jonathan Taylor, Brees Hall, and um, Travis ETN. Like that's those are like the top four running backs to come out over the last three years. So if that's the case, like, yeah, ETN is going to probably do it at some point this season, but like, we don't need to really take on that much uncertainty in my opinion, because it's very likely to be a one, a one B backfield this week. It's very likely that James Robinson sees 13 to 15 running back opportunities. And that's going to be a large dent to ETN's upside. Yeah. It's um, it's just not a game I'm going to have, unless it's Barkley, I'm going to have a lot of exposure to, um, and like I said, Saquon's just what he's on pace for, what his volume is, right? Like he's one of the few guys I can plug him. I know he's going to get the volume and right at any given week, he, he has the ability to, to break that upside. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Right. Uh, I don't even want to go into the pass catchers because who, you know, who's really trying to, you know, play there. It's been, uh, I think there's long-term upside, right. Moving into next season and maybe towards the end of the season, right. Is, uh, Lawrence gets some more snaps and, and they work on making the team a little better. Um, I, I, you know, we were talking about best ball before, uh, the podcast started and, uh, I'll definitely be keeping my eye on them for next year. Uh, but it's just not something with the other options on this slate that I really think I'm going to be looking at. Yeah, it's just the fact that like they have four primary pass catchers, right? They have right. the the Jones brothers. They have Marvin Jones and Zay Jones. Um, yeah. They have Christian Kirk that they paid a boatload of money for. And then right. they have Evan Ingram at the tight end position. All four of those pass catchers are between 17% and 22% team target market share. So it's like right. nobody is breaking out. Nobody, even Christian Kirk is at like 24%, something like that, um, targets per route run. So it's like nobody is commanding targets in this offense at an elite rate. And if the the field just is playing Christian Kirk because he got paid this a ton of money and he is the the like quote unquote bunny ears alpha on this team, right. he's not earning targets as an alpha. So I'll just let the field keep 
trying to guess right on this offense. And we look at like, like the, we, we kind of like the, the idea of guaranteed volume um, in DFS and of those four pass catchers, there's been like three instances combined of double digit targets. And it's like all the wide receivers have one each and that's, that's, that's it. So like guessing on who it's going to be that given week, it just seems futile to me. And if you actually look like at Kirk, especially, I mean, he's just lower and lower every week, right? Like, it's just, it's not going to like, like, okay, you can have one bad week. I, none of us ever going to cry about that, but every week it's less. It's like, okay, come on now. So, um, well, speaking of of having those pass catchers, we're going to talk about the Tennessee (laughs) Titans and the Indianapolis Colts. Oh, joy. Uh, I mean, Yay. Yeah. Yay. 41 and a half. (laughs) Um, You know, we talked about it, you know, the, the one thing it'll be interesting to see is if the field goes to ownership on, you know, stack and Taylor and Henry and saying, okay, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to pay up at double running back. Right. I'm going to, I'm going to pay up here and, you know, maybe I get them low ownership and go against the field. Meanwhile, the Colts Rundy has been elite this year. Like they've been really, really good um, along with the Titans Rundy. What have they been good at? They've been really, really good. So for me, uh, you know, we talked about at the beginning, like, hey, there's just not going to be want much I want involved. Um, you know, Pittman is finally starting to feel like he's turning into, you know, hopefully the wide receiver one. But, you know, one of the things you talked about that I think stood out the most is, right, how the Colts look dynamic, right, on paper, right? Yeah. 42 and a half to half attempts a game. But how the context is just completely lost in translation, right? So why don't you walk people through that to where we can't always just look at the data, right? We can't always just be like, hey, this is math. Because I think this is a great example of where we're, we see the numbers, but the numbers don't actually equal what we want it to. Yeah, so the Colts like you said, are averaging the third most pass attempts per game in the league. But we look at their like pass rate over expectation value has been under league average four out of six weeks, I believe. Um, yep. their, their snaps per game, they're playing the third most offensive snaps per game. But what that has come through is a overtime game in week one where it went the distance they tied so that is the maximum amount of offensive plays you can run they ran 92 offensive plays in that game last week they ran 81 offensive plays um in a game against the jags where it was like they kind of had to they were being pushed and they kind of had to keep uh the 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 pedal to the metal and they played without um jonathan taylor and they played without naheem hines so how would you handle that? Well, I'd probably try and take advantage of the short area passing, um, which is what they did. The week before that, in week five, they played another overtime game. They ran 79 right. offensive plays. Their other three games, they ran 48 offensive plays in week two, 71 in week three, and then 66 in week four. So if we take out, like, it, it it's kind of silly to just, like, disregard a portion of the data and be like, this fits my narrative. So I'm going to use it. But like, if we take out the overtime games and look at like what they're doing on a standard week, it is not elite. It is not third most pass attempts per game in the NFL. Um, And then we talk about like, you mentioned Michael Pittman, and I've kind of harped on this all season. And I want to introduce the caveat that like I drafted Michael Pittman as an alpha wide receiver in best ball because he has the profile to be that. The problem is 
He's not earning targets like that. He's not being fed like that. It's, His, it's not even close. Not even close. His targets per route run rate is 24.1%. That ranks 34th in the league. So that's wide receiver three territory. His right. team target market share is 24.4%. That is 25th in the league. His red zone target rate is 17.9%. That is under guy like, that is like Marvin Jones territory. We are the same. Like that is non elite, right? So looking at like what he's done, like Michael Pittman has put up two GPP worthy scores this season. One was last week and one was week one, the overtime game. And those were the games they ran 92 offensive plays and 81 offensive plays. So it is purely a team volume driven, like upside against the Titans. What is that probably going to be? Probably they're not going to be running 80 offensive plays. It's just in an outdoor stadium where Ryan, right. If you start digging in the data, how much worse Ryan is outside versus inside, especially at this point in his career. Right. Um, I just don't, you know, I don't see it other than, you know, the, the Titan strength is, you know, the Titan strength is their run D and not their pass D. I just, I just don't see how they get there. They have Taylor yeah. and Hines back this week, right? Um, try to spread the ball out a little bit more. Um, I'll be interested to see uh, where they go. Um, I have enjoyed uh, Alec Pierce this year. Um, you know, he's been at his price. He's, you know, delivered some nice scores, but uh, again, for me, this is just a game where I look at it. I look at the point total. I look at other matchups on the slate and I'm like, uh, right. Like that's one of those, like, I feel like Christmas story. Right. And like, do I have to, right. Like, yeah. <laughs> like uh, probably not. So that's, uh, that's where I, I think, I think I'm going to yeah. go a different direction myself this week. Let me just shit on Michael Tom or Michael Pittman a little more. <laughs> I have a lot of him in season long, so please do some yeah. words. His, his ADOT is 6.3 this year. That's 90th in the league at wide receiver. His air, his, his air yards, he only has 65.4 air yards per game. That's 51st in the league. Like right. The profile is not there. So like if he's running these very, very short routes, if he is not commanding – targets at an elite rate he needs the offense to run 80 to 90 offensive plays to hit and he's the fourth highest priced wide receiver on the slate and i think people are just gonna go there because they don't know where to allocate their salary like i gotta spend it on something let me just like let me spend it for the perceived certainty oh yeah michael Pittman. he's you know broken the slate twice this year like i'll throw it on him it's like yeah uh, that's a full fade for me bro so basically you just called them rondale Moore. got it (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He's at least ahead of the line of scrimmage, so that's good. <laughs> that, that's all I heard there. I just, I, I just heard you. Call, hey, Rod, Rondale caught one for thirty-one, and then didn't have any more catches last night. He's Michael Thomas on one leg. That's what. That's what Michael Pittman is. <laughs> there you go. That uh, that that's going to be our uh, that's going to be our quote for the week. Who's Great. Michael Thomas? On, who's Michael Thomas on one leg? <laughs> Uh, I think that's uh, I think that's a pretty good explanation from there. Yeah, I, and right, like I don't have any interest in the big dog running against the. Um, again, it can he break the slate at any time? It, yes, at this point in his career, with all the touches. Again, uh, I think there's so many other running backs in such better spots this week. I'm I'm just not going to go there. The the only 
The only thought there for me is I would, as an MME player, I'm, which I'm not, but as an right. MME player, if I see Derrick Henry at low ownership, I'm going to have some. Yeah. And, and I think you and I, right. Cause you and I are both, you know, single three max players. I yeah. think that, you know, we're coming at that point of view uh, of it where I think Mike would say, yeah, you know what? I start seeing Derrick Henry sub 5%. He's going yeah. to my player pool. Right. Yeah. Um, and that's one of the things that I think uh, one week does really well is, you know, we're giving you these previews and it's from different angles, right? You're going to have MME, you know, where they're maxing out multiple lineups and multiple contests. Uh, you have folks like, you know, Hilo that are just doing single entry and three max. Uh, you know, you have Xanamir that specializes in showdowns. Um, there's, you know, there's a unique way and, and you see it, right? Have a boat. We'll teach you to fish, right? We, we actually want to show you how to play. Right. Like, and that's why we're doing these edge breakdowns where you're going forward. So you can understand it's not just, hey, play this guy, but how to critically think and how to look at it from, you know, a game theory standpoint, which for those that, you know, are still getting to know Hilo here, um, he's a game theory expert. Right. Um, he talks about game theory and I really like it. I'm way better at game theory now because of you. Um, and then we've talked about, right. We know some of the same pro poker players. Yeah. We, we kind of run in a few of the same circles, but I don't know game theory like you do. Uh, my strength isn't in that. Um, so I've, you know, leaned on that and, you know, take advantage of that. There's a great discord, a great opportunity. And, um, you know, one of the things, you know, as we end up here, I'll, I, I want to bring up is, uh, we have a we're having a great start to our NBA prop season. I was joking with Hilo. You guys see the NBA prop beard here because I've shaved in a few days because uh, it's been uh, you know NBA props. Uh, you know you got to be right on top of it. There's so much breaking news. Yeah, um, and we haven't been perfect. Listen, we pushed Kawhi yesterday early, and uh, the news came out and it went the other way. Right, like uh, I, I joked with uh, X. You know, sometimes you're the bug, sometimes you're the windshield. Um, on the big slate the day before, we were the windshield, right? The news broke our way. We went 14 and seven uh, on the second day. Uh, you know, we went two and one yesterday and four and two on coin flips. Uh, but the quiet, right? The, the news just broke the other way that, hey, they're just not going to use them. But um, we have a good group going there and uh, we're excited to, uh, to see where that goes. Yeah. Who's got time to shave, man? Seriously. Yeah, I mean, you do. You, you always, you always high and tight. I'm, uh, I I'm had to work for, I had to work for the Navy today, so I had to shave. Oh, uh, there you go. That's that's why I write it. And for those that don't know, you can kind of see behind me. Um, my uh, my wife and I actually uh, sold everything, uh, and we're traveling full time. So we're we're actually podcasting here from my RV, and uh, we're actually in San Francisco right now. We're going to the game on Sunday, which I'm super excited about. I am a uh, San Francisco Homer lifelong fan. Um, I'm excited. We traded for CMC. Uh, you know, it's. Um, I, I think what we paid, uh, it's worth the squeeze. Um, yeah. I wish it would have broke 20 minutes sooner because I was recording with Mike last night, and it would have been fun to watch my reaction live. Um, <laughs> right, and you brought it up earlier. Do Do we think we can see him much this week? No. Do Do I think he went to Stanford and he's a really smart guy, and they're probably still going to get him 10, 15 <laughs> touches? Yes, because you know Shanahan's going to want to play with his new toy. Um, but I mean, you get the, you now have the best catching back in the league and you have the best running wide receiver in the league, um, <laughs> with a pretty creative, you know, pretty creative, uh, offensive guy. Uh, if we can stay healthy, I'll, I'll be interested to see where that goes. 
Yeah, man. As soon as that broke, I threw down a pretty chunky uh, wager on San Francisco to win the Super Bowl. It's like it, 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 teams got to cover. Like, I don't care. Like Philly is obviously the favorite in the NFC, right. but like through the sample of one game, Philly having to cover Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk, George Kittle and CMC now. And right. San Francisco has like a top three defense in the league. So that it's like it's like Philly, Buffalo, and then San Francisco. <laughs> like in yeah, I, I'm I'm excited to see where it can go and uh, right and and as we know, health matters, right? Let's be healthy at the right time at the end of the year and yeah, uh, see where it goes. But um, you know, we also have weekly prop packages that you can come check out. Same with the DFS packages; you don't have to commit for the season, and you get this preview, right? You don't get to see the whole thing, but you get a preview here of of everybody's write-ups um we give you a breakdown um and like this we're going to give you multiple ways you can listen on podcasts you can watch on youtube uh you can read it whatever is easier for you to get a breakdown week to week on, on what we have going so uh thanks again for coming on and uh we'll talk to you guys next week see you fam